C.S. Lewis, in one of his random but, as always, excellent quotes, said this, We may think God wants actions of a certain kind, but God wants people of a certain kind. This series that we have called A Certain Kind is taken from the wise words of C.S. Lewis, which were also used by Edmund Chan in his, his work, A Certain Kind, uh, with reference to discipleship, but you will find that this is sourced in the scriptures. The series is built on an agreement with this statement as it's found in the Word of God. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 5, a very familiar story of uh, the encounter between Jesus and the calling of some disciples. And the question that I have for you this morning is, are you that certain kind? Disciples God makes into disciple makers, which is the call of Christ on our lives, on all of our lives. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him because they had decided to follow Jesus. Father, we pause now, having the word of God before us, and we ask, O Lord, that we might be willing of heart to listen, as that group of people did in that day, to words that are as fresh today as they were then, the same call the same expectations, the same Jesus, the same mission. So, Lord, uh, we commit ourselves here this morning to this, the Word of God, and to our joy to be your people. And we ask, O Lord, that you might fashion for us the words from this text 
to our very own personal situations because of the greatness of the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives. And may we respond wholeheartedly, O Lord. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. I hope you notice here as we launch this text that they were listening to the word of God. Discipleship is not looking for someone or some group to say what you really prefer God would say or want, but rather to actually hear with your own ears and look with your own eyes to what God actually does say. The source and setting for discipleship is always the same. It's the word of God. And the question that we ask each other in discipleship is, but what does God's word say about this? Not what does some church say about it, or this church, or that church, or this pastor, or that pastor, or this guy I heard on the web, or that guy I heard on the web, or this group, or that group. It's, it has to be for us. It has to be for us. But what does God say about this? What does God say in his word about this? See, one day, Jesus... The Son of God was teaching the Word of God. It caught me by, I've read this story many, many times, but it caught me a little bit uh, to, be, to, to force me to pause when I read this this time. Because um, it is literally God expounding the Word of God. They were listening to the the, the very God of gods. And it, it appears that the crowds were making it impossible for him to kind of negotiate what, how he wanted to teach or jamming around and pushing, jostling. It's kind of distracting, you know. If you were all like pressing in and jostling around me, it would be a little bit distracting to try. And, you know, you got to get some distance. That's, that's why we have platforms and pulpits and stuff. Give me some distance from, from the people so I can, I can maneuver. And <clears throat> so Jesus happens to notice a couple of boats there. And he said, well... You know, I'm going to take one and uh, ask to use Peter's boat. Uh, Jesus will do that from time to time, you know, in your life. He'll ask if he can use your stuff. And, uh, of course, Peter's like, no problem. I'm not using my boat now. It's no big sacrifice to me here, of course. Jesus, go ahead. And that, that often is the, the, the limit or level of discipleship that we go with the Lord. Well, you know, yeah, sure, whatever is left over, whatever I don't need, you can have that of me. That was just the beginning of the interaction with Jesus and Peter. You see, because um, many of us remain stranded in this place, but Jesus goes on to say, hey, let's go fishing. How about upgrading our relationship to the next level, Peter? And we don't know exactly what was going on in Peter's mind, although we do, we do have a hint of of him uh, making the point that they'd been fishing all night. So, you know, it's often the case when we just, God sort of taps us on the shoulders, you know, wants us to do something, and we're like, well, God, he doesn't really know about my life. How could he know? He doesn't know about my job. He doesn't know what difficulties I've had. He doesn't know how, how much of a struggle I've put in this. He doesn't know what I face. 
It's not that easy, Lord. The struggles, you know, my profession is uh, fishing. I know what I'm doing. Now you're telling me to push out, go fishing. This is not the right time to go fishing. Now we're going to let down the nets and we're going to let them down in broad daylight, which is actually um, a huge problem because that's not the way it works. Peter's like, you know, we fished all night. Jesus, you probably don't know. You're a carpenter. I get it. But you can't catch fish in the day. You know, um, their fishing situation back then was a little cruder than ours. They didn't have the, the monofilament line, the trilene line, the, the fine, fine stuff. So if you fish during the day, the fish are just going to see the crude net. They're not going in there. So fishing at night was the way they fished. Jesus said, we're going fishing in the day. So I get it. He probably doesn't know anything about fishing. I said, hey, we caught nothing. You know, it's like, Lord, I've sent out a lot of resumes. You're asking me to send another one to this? Come on. I've done all of this. I'm too old for this. Or I've I've worked my guts out. You, You must not have noticed... What I've been doing lately, you're asking me to do the same thing. They were listening to God's word. You know, when when God is speaking, we're actually listening to God. So Peter says, but I guess because you say so. Why would Peter say this? Well, if we read back a chapter or so, we find out that Jesus had already healed his mother-in-law. That was a great moment in his life. And so he realizes, hey, Jesus, he may be, he's, he's something. So there's a few things I want to show, share with you about three things this morning from this text to sort of help you orientate yourself to what it means to be a disciple of Christ, what, from Jesus' own words, his own perspective here. And, and what you see here is that the first thing I think that Jesus goes after in our lives is he asks to use our mind. He, he wants our mind. On the way to being a certain kind, he will take you right up to face your barriers, the obstacles that are in your life. And one of the big ones for us is a habit of of trying to overrule God or overthink God or outthink God. I'm not sure why we do this, but it is what what we do. I mean, Peter had seen that Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. Surely he shouldn't have questioned fishing in the daytime. But uh, we give up our mind to the Lord very slowly. And what God wants out of a disciple is an obedient learner follower. A disciple, in fact, disciple to the New Testament people, the, the very word itself, mathetes, actually meant learner. One who would follow some sort of master teacher. So, when Jesus is using that kind of language to be his disciple, uh, which we'll look at Luke 9 in, in a little bit later, he, he's actually talking about a learner of God, a learner of God's word, a learner of God's ways. And you want to understand what does it mean to be a disciple? You're a learner of God's word, a learner of God's ways. When we are discipling one another, we are helping each other to be learners of God's word and learners of God's ways. A disciple is defined by who or she follows. Learners followed a master teacher. 
I like what Daryl Bach has said in his commentary. Discipleship means being a learner, a follower. It means that our attention is turned to how we can follow Jesus, not how we can make him follow us. I've been pastoring just long enough to notice that an awful lot of challenges in our lives are precisely right here. All kinds of us are are basically, it's our bent to say, look, I'd like to do this, or I'd like to do that, or I want to do this, and I'm, I'm going to invite Jesus to follow me to that. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, and he was talking to his disciples, and he said, uh, he, he didn't, they didn't come to him and say, look, it, um, we want you to meet us in Galilee. We're going to go there, and we expect you to show up, Jesus. No, no, Jesus was always the one saying, I I want you guys to meet me in Galilee because you're the followers. You're the learners. We're we're, uh, people who are saying, Lord, where are you going? What what are you doing so that I can know what I'm going to be doing? Not this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm wanting Could you please meet me there when I get there? We get it all backwards. A disciple will obey in the face of conflicting advice and evidence. Jesus, by the way, is not giving a fishing seminar here. He's not going to start a reality show on how to be a prosperous fisherman. (laughs) Some people look at this text and they... They, they just do all kinds of damage to it. Jesus is not promising here that obedient fishermen will always have full nets. That's not what his miracle was about at all. Jesus' miracle is not now our method. Oh, so now we shouldn't go fishing at night. We should go fishing in the day. Now, that's not what this miracle is about. For Jesus, miracles... Uh, 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 miraculous physical blessings were props for greater spiritual reality, always. It isn't about a prosperity fishing show for Peter. In fact, as far as prosperity goes, as we read through the text, we find out that physically, as far as prosperity goes, his days were kind of done that for a far greater eternal enterprise. God's agenda does not include having to constantly prop up our sagging faith with end-game sightings, miraculous, constantly throwing miracles at our way so he will get us to do what we, he wants us to do. Jesus is the one who sets the agenda. We get to simply follow him in spite of our expertise often, our experience, our own agenda for sure. In fact, Peter's timing was way off. He shouldn't have gone fishing at night. There was no fish going to be caught that night. God's plan was for fish to be caught in the morning. Fish are caught when God decides they're caught. It's like everything else in our lives. It goes against the grain of our own intuition. So Peter's response to him Uh, is, go away from me, Lord, Uh, I'm a sinful man. 
See, um, Jesus will ask for your mind, but secondly, he's going to ask for your heart. What God is really after is your heart. You can never be a certain kind until you're an instrument useful in the master's hand. And that begins when God helps us to right-size who we really are. And uh, when Peter noticed who Jesus was, and there's just a simple, it's a simple reality in life. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you notice how sinful you are. If you're cruising around today thinking you got it pretty good and you've got nothing going on that's at all a problem to the Lord, that may be more a sign you're a long way away from the Lord than that you're really close to Him. Because what the Lord is looking for is not only an obedient learner follower, but He's looking for a humble servant. A certain kind is a humble servant. Peter is not able. Peter is not worthy. Peter is not qualified. Peter is not deserving. All of this comes out as he, as he falls to the knees of Jesus. Saying, I'm a sinful man. Because when we really encounter Jesus, our opinion of ourselves tanks. Every time. So a disciple freely recognizes inabilities, spiritual disabilities, spiritual liabilities, and we all have them. This may be a, a, a brutally honest statement, but the truth of the matter is Jesus doesn't recruit you to discipleship because he needs you. He recruits you to discipleship because you need him. Our usefulness is directly proportionate to our recognition of our humility. He wants our service, not our counsel. And until we come to the place where we, we figure that out, and to be honest, when I, when I adjudicate my own prayer life, I realize that I'm regularly giving God more counsel than I'm actually listening to His counsel. Lord, if I was running the universe... Uh, I'd probably do this. What do you think? Keep in mind that he picked fishermen that had failed to fish that night. When God is looking for disciples, and particularly when Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, you would think that he would choose at least guys who caught fish. But these are, the, these are the pros. I mean, these are the guys at the top. These are the best. These guys know the Sea of Galilee like nobody's business. They went out fishing all night, couldn't catch anything. If I'm going to pick people to fish for men, somehow the methodology might be somewhat similar I'm not picking losers like those guys. I'm not picking guys who didn't catch any fish. That, that's not the resume I'm looking for. But it is the resume that God is looking for. Keep in mind that um, facing our flaws and facing our failures 
as we face those straight on, that's what qualifies us to actually be in the mission. To, to have the life of Christ in us and poured into us. That's what, that's what makes us qualified for the mission. See, a disciple has the common mark of humility. Daryl Bach put it nicely this way. Humility is the elevator to spiritual greatness. Why? Because the mission itself is, is to, to rescue people from their follies and from their perils of the fallen world. Unless you recognize that that in yourself you have been rescued by Christ. Jesus is the one who helped you in this fallen world. How are you going to be of value to his mission? How can you help anybody else? Now, when Jesus said to him, I want you to become fishers of men, he, um, he starts off the phrase by saying to Peter, now look at Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what I'm about to tell you. But I want you to be a fisher of men. Now, not all of us are going to be called to Peter's level of serving. God is not going to ask all of you necessarily to park your boat, hang up your nets, call your boss tomorrow. Tell me you're not coming in. God is not going to call all of us to this level of service. But he is going to call all of us to this level of living. Don't be afraid, Peter. Because what I'm about to tell you is going to be terrifying. I asked you for your mind. I asked you for your heart. And now I'm going to ask you for your life. And by the way, this formula applies to every single one of us here who are disciples of Jesus Christ. This is not some sort of special level. There's sort of a lower grade of Christian and then there's elite Christians. Jesus never presents that package. He presents one kind, a certain kind, a disciple of Christ, a learner follower. He wants your mind. Obedient, he wants your heart. And he wants you to be a self-denier because he wants your life Look over with me at Luke chapter 9. Because we have to ask the question, like how invested is a certain kind from Jesus' perspective? I mean, what's the investment? He says this in verse 23 of Luke 9, if anyone would come after me. How many? Is that an elite group? It's all of us. You know, as we sang that song before the sermon, I have decided to follow Jesus, with our hearts we sang. So Jesus is saying, okay, if any, any of anyone, this is an elite class, this is anyone wants to come after me, this is the deal. Now, 
these guys left behind the greatest catch of their life. I mean, business was booming. Their career had just taken a turn for the better. Now they, now they could fish in the daytime, too. This has opened up a whole new world for them. Boats on shore are not where you should put boats. They're not very useful on shore. Nets strewn up on the bank, not going to catch anything. It's not exactly following what their investment banker had in mind. But, the, but Peter and the others lived out the rest of their lives on the Lord. Does that seem like a risky thing to you? That great catch of fish financed a lot of those years, is my guess. So what's a self-denier look like? Here's what Jesus said to all of us. If anyone would come after me, verse 23 of Luke 9, I got it underlined in my Bible. I recommend you do that. Highlight it. If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus throws this into the perspective of the eschaton, the second coming of Christ. When I come back to separate the goats and the sheep, here's my criterion. These two, um, there's three commands here, deny, take up, follow. The first two are framed in a verb tense that means a summary action with lasting effects. In other words, this is a resolved reality in your life, and it has lasting effect. Deny yourself. What does that mean? It means say goodbye to you. I mean, that's the easiest way I can say it. Say goodbye to you. I can tell you that the, the vast majority as well of struggles we have in moving forward with Jesus is because we won't say goodbye to self. All our, our jealousies, our little frustrations, our little uh, challenges, our, our little, hey, what about me stuff in the church, all kinds of distractions that take us away from all kinds of good spiritual pursuits are because we haven't said goodbye to self. Deny yourself is to say goodbye to you. What about me should be out of your phrase book. Don't bother saying it in church here. What about me? What do you mean, what about you? This has nothing to do with you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. You know what the picture of Christians are? A bunch of people with a 
cross, cross beam on our shoulders following Jesus who's carrying his cross beam as well. That, that's the picture of Christians. Take up your cross. Because not only is this the end of you, but this is the end of your life. If that's what God requires of you, that's what this looks like. It's like your life is given over to Christ. That's who we are. And the third imperative is a present imperative, so it's a continuous action, and keep following me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep following me. Take the crossbeam, put it on your shoulders, and keep watching where I'm going with mine. That's not the elite level of Christianity. This is Christianity. Now, Jesus points out here that there's some things at war with this whole idea. And one is that we actually prefer to try and save our own lives. See, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. How, how do we try to save our lives? Well, we actually try to accommodate ourselves to the world around us. You see, if you deny yourself and are following Jesus, that means you're turning your back on the ways of this world, the things of this world, and you're heading after him. But when you try to save yourself, you try to accommodate your life to the world just so that it's a little more easy for you, a little more tidy for you, a little less trouble for you. Or you reach out for accolades from the world. You know, I just want to, I don't really want people to know too much about my thing with Jesus, so I just sort of fit in. I like to morph my way into the world. Jesus says, if you try to do that, if you try to save yourself, you will lose your life. He says there are a lot of people who are looking to gain the whole world. He says, you do that, you will forfeit your very self or literally your, your nefesh, your soul, your very essence. You will lose yourself. There are a lot of people who, um, who try to be loyal subjects to the things of the world so that they can get by and do nicely. And the third thing he says here is there are those, and maybe this is the same person, who are ashamed of me. And my words. Now that one is pushing hard on us. Do you notice it's not just ashamed of Jesus, but ashamed also of his words. That's where people are really trying to get at us. Most of us are not really saying to us, oh, I, I don't know why you like that Jesus thing. You, you, I don't hear many people pushing against Jesus. Okay, that Jesus is fine. You know when they push? is his words. <laughs> They don't like his words. His words are old-fashioned. His words are, are from a puritanical uh, uh, existence centuries ago, a Victorian age, which, by the way, Victorians weren't all that pure. Just because they all wore long dresses doesn't mean they had purity going on. 
his words uh, on issues of science and stuff, come on, that's, what does God know about science? Come on. That's where they push. And, and, and it's easy to get ashamed. It's like, they're trying to shame us. You're, you're really not very smart. And Jesus says, anybody who's ashamed of me and my words. Literally, if you deny me and you deny my words, I will deny you to the Father when I come back to separate the sheep and the goats. So Jesus says, deny yourself. Don't deny me. Take the heat. Let them think you're stupid. You're the one who's really intelligent because you've denied yourself in favor of me. A disciple is willing to leave it all behind because you see the self, self will steal you from salvation, guaranteed. When people walk away from the faith, it's always because they were unable or unwilling to deny themselves when it came right down to it. When self is big, Jesus is little. A disciple values no greater prize than people. Jesus wants to use our lives to recruit and train people for his kingdom. That's why we were rescued in the first place. Edmund Chan, in his book, A Certain Kind, says this, we re reproduce after our kind. That's the way things work. So the key is not merely to try to disciple someone to be the right product. It is for the discipler to be the right product. The fishermen looked at their full nets, their sinking boats, compared it, to the value of the mission, parked the boats, hung up the nets, and walked away from fishing to follow after Jesus. Not all are to walk away from our livelihood, but all must walk away from lesser pursuits that might be in the way of God's mission for us. There are plenty of distractions, there are plenty of attractions at war with Jesus' vision for our life. Park your boat, hang up your nets, follow Jesus. God is not hoping he can persuade people to enlist in his mission. He calls disciples like you and me because he has purposed our willingness as disciples for the method of his mission. That, that's why we're called. He's not talking us into this. He's not sitting here begging you to follow after him. He calls us into this great mission and enables our hearts to be obedient and to be humble and to deny ourselves and follow after his mission. I love what Lee Camp says in his book, Mere Discipleship, Radical Christianity in a Rebellious World. It's quoted actually in Edmund Chan's book, A Certain Kind. And he writes this. 
Jesus of Nazareth always comes asking disciples to follow him, not merely accept him, not merely believe in him, not merely worship him, but to follow him. One either follows Christ or one does not. There is no compartmentalization of the faith. No realm, no sphere, no business, no politic in which the lordship of Christ will be excluded. We either make him lord of all lords or we deny him as lord of any. Our Father, we thank you for your great patience with us. We thank you for your love for us and so importantly, Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the fact that you have pulled people out of the world, called them your disciples, and have empowered them with the Holy Spirit to be a certain kind of person in this world, a kind that denies themselves, that is humble before the Lord, that is obedient to the Lord, and follows after Jesus Christ continuously. Lord, we call on people today. You are calling on people from your word. You are calling on your people who you've already called to live their call out, to live this truth, whatever the cost, to invite you, O Lord, to personalize this message. We don't all fish, but we are all called to follow you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, challenge us where we have allowed the interests of the world to crowd out our passion for you, where we have denied you because we were too embarrassed by your word. Oh God, forgive us for all of that and put us back where we are called to be. That will take us to death. That will take us away from life. But to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow after Jesus every day guarantees us life eternal with you because it is the mark of the person graced by God in salvation. So, Father, I pray now as we turn our attention to the great cost of our discipleship, that Christ laid down his very life for us so that we could have life evermore and invites us into that mission to willingly give our lives that others might know Christ. Lord, I pray that you would find in us a people faithful who will say, yeah, I, I've decided to follow Jesus in the way he's actually called me to follow him. For I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. It is true that the Lord didn't recruit us because he needs us. It is also true that we need him. It is also very, very true that he recruited us because he loves us with an everlasting love, a certain kind recognizes that love and obeys him, follows him, is humble before him and denies themselves in favor of him. Our Father, today we stand amazed in your presence 
that you would love sinners like us, condemned, unclean. But we know, O oh Lord, that you died for us to set us free from our sin, forgive us, cleanse us, make us holy and pure before you in your sight, and commissioned us to this glorious mission of telling the good things about Jesus and his ways that others might be rescued from sin and self and lostness and damnation and know of the eternal love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Oh God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.